Good afternoon. Sorry about that. I didn't realize what time it was. Um, this is Uncle Paul's Jazz Closet and your host, Cindy McGurl. Today's show is part three of Paul Modian in the 1970s. And um, I took that 1975 cassette that Paul made with the Keith Jarrett Quartet in Japan, and I finished separating out the tracks. So I've got some more of that. And then I just kind of picked up a bunch of stuff, um, picked out a bunch of stuff that I didn't get to fit into the other shows. So um, we're going to first thank our sponsors, which are the Dowling Walsh Gallery in Rockland and the Curator, also in Rockland, and Rockport Automotive in Rockport. Um, so we, first I'm going to play a cut from Hamburg 72, um, which was recorded um, but not released officially until ECM put it out in 2014. Um, it was recorded and put out on an album that was very rare. So we've got Keith Jarrett, Charlie Hayden, and Paul Modian with a Take Me Back.
That was uh, Life Dance from Hamburg 72. And at the top of the set, we heard Take Me Back, both tunes by Keith Jarrett um, with the Keith Jarrett Quartet with Charlie Hayden, I mean trio with Charlie Hayden and Paul Modian. Um, And that was before Dewey Redmond was permanently added to the lineup. Um, And in between, we heard Paul Modian's song, Inspiration, from a Vietnamese lullaby, which was on his 1973 ECM album, Conception Vessel, with Paul Modian on drums, Leroy Jenkins on violin, Charlie Hayden on bass, and Becky Friend on flute. Um, I just think that's an underappreciated tune. As far as I know, no one else has ever recorded that. Um, And I have got a, a couple of readings today. So the Jarrett Quartet played at the Village Vanguard in New York City a fair amount, and Paul writes about it in his um, unpublished autobiography. A funny moment happened during that week at the Vanguard. We used to jump around a lot when we played. I don't know how or when it started, but it was a natural thing to do. It just happened. We never talked about it or thought anything about it. We were involved in the music, and I guess in our excitement we moved around a lot, and during the playing one night I fell down, backwards. My drum seat collapsed and I was on the floor. I kept playing. The music was important. I didn't want to skip a beat. After our set, Keith asked about it. Paul, what happened? I heard a noise and looked up, and I saw only a drumstick reaching up from the floor playing your cymbal. It was a very strange sight. Keith, I'm sorry. I guess I got overly excited. I was moving around and knocked my seat down, and I fell. The music was so happening, I didn't dare stop playing. It's okay. It was funny. I was laughing, Keith said. And for the rest of the first hour, we're going to investigate... Dewey Redmond's tune, Mushy Mushy. And first, we're going to hear some backroom chatter with the um, quartet talking about the meaning. And then we'll hear the version that's on the Keith Jarrett album, Bop B. Do we say something, do we? <laughs> what does that mean? Mushy, mushy. Mushy, mushy. Yeah. Telephone. Oh, yeah? Telephone. Mushy, mushy. Does that mean telephone? For you you uh-huh. want it on the telephone? Thank you. Uh, telephone for you? No. It just no. means telephone. No. Um, what telephone? Telephone. Mushy machine is uh, You say it, mushy mushy uh, when, you, when you're on the telephone. We'll bring but it I don't in. understand what it means. On the telephone, you said mushy mushy. Okay. Yeah. What does that mean? Goodbye. Uh, sayonara. You know. Sayonara. Goodbye. Sayonara. Mushy mushy. The same thing. Mushy mushy. Ah, say say say. Same thing. Oh. Mushy mushy. Please. Oh, what's this? Oh, great. 
tea. No, now we're having tea. We're having tea machine, now. Machine, machine, <laughs> we're having tea. This is not going to make a very good record. <laughs> I, still, I still wonder if he actually has my food or not. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, where is it? Uh, it was back in my hotel room. So I think he sent my boy back to get it. Or Kanishima. Kanishima? Is that right? Thank you. Arigato. Arigato. You're welcome. Domo. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Thank you.
Mushy Mushy, Dewey Redmond's tune from Bop B, which is um, a lot of the uh, songs on that are written by Dewey Redmond. Keith Jarrett on piano, Dewey Redmond on tenor, Charlie Hayden on bass, Paul Modian on drums, uh, recorded in 1976 and released on Impulse Records. And before that, we heard a little chatter to tell us that Mushy Mushy means telephone. Um, I want to remind you that you are listening to Community Radio, WRFR Low Power, 93.3 FM, Rockland, Maine, and streaming online at wrfr.org. I've got another short reading about playing at the Village Vanguard with the Keith Jarrett Quartet, or actually trio. I think it was a trio this night, The Robbery. One night when I was playing with Keith Jarrett and Charlie Hayden at the Vanguard, there was a robbery at the club. It happened while we were on the bandstand. No one in the audience was aware of what happened. There were two gunmen. One of them sat at the top of the stairway inside the street entrance door with a shotgun while the other guy came down the stairs to where you paid the admission fee to enter the club. He pointed a pistol at the woman collecting the entrance fee took the money from the small metal box on the table and ran back up the stairs and with his partner out the door and into the street. Max Gordon had already removed most of the money from the cash box and had put it away. The gunman got away with only a few hundred dollars. The robbery happened while the music was going on and the audience never knew about it and neither did we. We were told about the theft after we finished playing our set. So I've got a little more chatter um, from the the 1975 recording that Paul Modian made. I played some from it last week on May 25th through 30th in Japan. Um, When they come back to Mushy Mushy and talk about Keith Jarrett's missing flute. Um, And then after that, we're going to go, I think, well, I don't know if we're going to go to the top of the hour. It looks like I can get something else in. Um, But we're going to hear... Well, I'll come back and talk about it. Mushy Mushy means Sayonara? Sayonara? Man. I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. Mushy Mushy means... No, it means telephone. It means... Telephone? No, because that's the only time... No, somebody calls you up and answers the phone. It's like saying... Hello? Telephone is now in somebody's hands. Mushy mushy means somebody just yeah. slaps in the face. Yeah. And, and, and but the boy, uh, yeah, he went, he went to hotel okay. and looking for the your bar, yeah. bar. Yeah. But he can't find the fruit. Fruit. One fruit. One stick. Fruit. Yeah, no, just one. Just one? Yeah. Uh, Wood. One fruit. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you can't find it. Fruit is a survive. And no, it's not a metal flute, it's a yeah. wood flute. Wood flute is one a piece. Wood. Okay, okay. One piece. Just one, that's all. And it's in my big big suitcase. Yeah, yeah, I see. In the is he where is he now? Yeah, just hotel. He's at the hotel. Did he did he tell you he cannot find it? Yeah. 
And he thinks that food is two pieces. Oh, he thinks it's a metaphor. He thinks it's two pieces. Maybe he's maybe he saw it and thinks it's the only. There's another piece. Of it. Yeah. <laughs> he he's so confused. Oh, okay. <laughs> he found one piece. Though. Yeah. He 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 found one. Yeah. Wood. Wood. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. I'll go back in the bag. Is <laughs> you have your food? Yeah. And you know when 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 you travel, it's 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 bad enough doing doing tours and changing bags and you know like when you, you don't want to put a flute in a bag that goes on an airplane and stuff like that. So you put it in another bag. But when I do solo concerts. If I do like a week of solo concerts, I start remembering things like tuning hammers and forgetting flutes. Because yeah. <laughs> I don't use the flute. Yeah. You used to. Yeah, but I haven't for long. Well, this is not going to be a very interesting tape, is it? Yeah, why not? Yeah? Well, rewind it. Always just keep rewinding it. If it's boring, rewind it. And just wait till it really gets good, because you will be happy to have it if it's good. Well, maybe I should just shut it off and wait until no, the good starts happening. No, I think you should rewind it unless there's well, No, there's other stuff on there I like. Oh, well then in that case you just have to edit very well later on. Oh, okay. That's right, I'll edit it. You can figure that for every five, sixty-minute tapes, you every three hundred minutes you probably have about ten good minutes. Can you splice this kind of tape? No, but you can erase it. Oh. Uh, time Susan gets it is gonna be She probably think I'm going second man take the pawn shop. Take it back! I think this must be the right one. I hope so. Don't let Ellen listen to that. Don't let Ellen listen to it. <laughs> I said I had to make some money off of this, huh, dude? Mm -hmm. <laughs> White man. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good idea. That's that's as bad as I'll be riding black. I'll be riding black. Did you think that, Joey? When you picked it up, you said mushy mushy.
That was the Paul Modian Trio with Charles Brackeen and David Isenson in 1977, January 29th, at an office gig that was kind of a birthday party, <laughs> playing Dewey Redmond's tune, Mushy Mushy. Um, and uh, Paul played that quite a bit with different trios in his early days, and um, and I think he might have even played it with his uh, quartet, too. And But then he wrote a note. He said, you know what, that's Dewey's tune for his band, and he stopped playing it. Um, well, I'm going to take us to the top of the hour with another bit from 1975 Japan, Not Illegal in a Plane. Listen, I was on an airplane with the Warner Brothers Caravan. Do you remember what that was? The Caravan? Did you hear about that? Bunch of hippies, that. Bunch of hippies <laughs> being filmed by Warner Brothers as they camped out across the country. Oh, yeah? And then they went to the Isle of Wight Festival, you know, big rock festival. Oh, I remember that. Taking acids and, yeah. and uh, on the plane, it was an Air India flight. And uh, oh, yeah. almost the whole plane, except for part of Miles' band, everybody else was Warner Brothers caravan people. Yeah. And they had so many things on the plane to get rid of before they landed in London. <laughs> because it's not illegal in the plane. Oh. What's not Oh. Anything. Dope. Anything. Nothing. I mean, in the you, plane. Better, you better stop and you don't get somebody busted down that shit. You no, but man. Don't spare that room with me. No, it's, it's illegal as soon as you land. But it's not illegal in there. Yeah. No, yeah. of course. That's the trouble. No, it's true. Man. It's international. international. <laughs> there's no, there's no way they can. When you're in the air, you're not. In yeah, if they regulate land, you know, that drugs. So if they regulate that, but I guess that's just to keep people from getting drunk. They regulate it because they got it. But if you got it, that's when getting drunk. But there were people sprawled out in the aisles, and kids, yeah. people with little kids that were wailing. The, the kids were like sitting on the laps, and they were like, oh, I guess the kid would go, ah! And there's Air India stewardesses, with best stewardesses I ever saw, man. They just, they walked, you know, nobody ate anything, because everyone was so out. And the one or two of us that wanted a meal, <laughs> they walked through the whole plane to get to it, you know? They go through all the shit, and they just go, yeah. <laughs> wore their Indian thing, you know. Very... Hey, but I remember something happened at the hour right that time. Didn't it? Didn't something spectacular happen? Somebody got something happened, right? You mean like a bust or something? No, it was something. I don't know what. I remember it was in the paper. Uh, read. No, no, so. no. That's right after London. Yeah. Oh, was that hard to get to? It was like going to Japan to go to the Isle of Wight. The amount of time it took to get there. Because you had to fly to London. Then you had to take a... Then you had to go to... Um, take a bus to... the sea, the right part of the water. And go... You know, then take a boat to the island. And then take a car <laughs> inside the island. Did they search in London? I know they did. Oh, London, yeah. Yeah, man, because that's, you know. Well, this whole Warner Brothers crew went swimming right through because, you know, they said Warner Brothers, man. Yeah. 
Uh, everybody went through the elevator. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, who was the alto player? Gary. Gary and I were going through, and we said, well, they're getting through. We walked through. That's what they did to Frank Sinatra, man. You know what? He said, fuck you, motherfuckers. So they had me, so they, you know, like they searched him on the plane. But I heard, he, but I heard on radio he canceled his tour because the house was half full. Who's who are you talking about? Frank Sinatra just a oh. couple of days ago. He's on the tour. You know. He was going to do Berlin. But anyway, Gary and I didn't have working papers because somebody was supposed to meet the band, but we were only two fifths of the band, and the rest of the band was already through or something. <laughs> we had to sit there like watching all these. People obviously out of it. So what did they do? Trying to let you just go? Finally, one of the um, they realized they didn't have the whole band. They got us. Whose tea is this? I don't know, but I'd like some more too. Maybe we could get some more from the girl. She's right next door. Oh, yeah. She's kind of nice. Yeah. Right next door. Stay tuned for more Uncle Paul's Jazz Closet after the top of the hour. Welcome back to the second hour of Uncle Paul's Jazz Closet. Today's show is about Paul Modian in the 1970s. And I want to thank my sponsors, Rockport Automotive, the Dowling Walsh Gallery, and the Curator. And... Um, I'm going to start out with another film score that Paul Modian wrote um, for Stan Vanderbeek. I played a, um, a couple of his film scores on the last show. Um, and interestingly, this week I got an email from Jeff Arnell at the Black Mountain College Museum and Arts Center in Asheville, North Carolina. And apparently Stan Vanderbeek was a student at Black Mountain College in 1949 to 51. And they currently have an exhibit up of some of his work and also some of his daughter Sarah's work too. And they're showing uh, Moirage, which is a, a film that Paul wrote the music to. The film was made in 1967 and then Paul wrote the music I think, in 1970. Um, and so I played for you Pomefield number two last time. And this is the same lineup with Paul, Carl Berger, and David Isenson. And um, I'm not sure why. I have a guess. But so for Pomefield number two, I have the written music. Um, and and it's, it's written out pretty differently than a lot of things. And you can, um, if you Google that on my webpage, Jazz Closet, dot blogspot.com. Um, you can see some photos of the composition. Um, but for Moiraj, Paul did write about it, but he, you know, that, you know, that he wrote it, but there are, isn't any paperwork that I've found. So I don't know if it just went missing or what, but I also think it maybe it was improvised. So, um, but this show sounds really interesting, so I encourage you to check it out if you're in that area. Um, but I'll also put some links up to both the uh, Stan Vanderbeek archive and, um, and to the Black Mountain College Museum. And 
Um, it's kind of interesting because the Yvette Torres Gallery right here on Main Street in Rockland um, shows a lot of work from Black Mountain College alumni. I didn't realize it closed in 1957. Um, so let's give a listen to that and uh, you tell me if you think it's improvised.
That was pretty cool, wasn't it? I'm pretty excited to have that soundtrack to Stan Vanderbeek's film Moirage, written by Paul Modian and played with Carl Berger on vibes and David Isenson on bass. And um, David Isenson was also in Paul's first trio in 1976. They started rehearsing and uh, played some albums in 77. And Carl Berger um, is still going with the Creative Music Studio in upstate New York. And I've got some music that um, the Palmodian Trio played there in 1977 coming up. But before we get to that, I'm going to read a little bit about this uh, Vanderbeek and Vanderbeek show at the Black Mountain College Museum and Arts Center in Asheville, North Carolina. And it's um, up until January 4th of 2020, curated by Sarah Vanderbeek and Chelsea Spengman, director of the Stan Vanderbeek Archive. So um, Vanderbeek and Vanderbeek presents artwork by Sarah Vanderbeek, born 1976, alongside work of her father, Stan, born 1927, died 1984, a Black Mountain College alum. Stan's time at Black Mountain, 49 to 50 and summer of 51, was intensely reflective and experimental. He emerged as an artist in the middle of the 20th century with visions of making art that was accessible, reproducible, and perhaps most importantly, combined multiple mediums. Stan was influenced by the longevity of ancient symbols as much as by an anxiety for the future. The exhibition includes his paintings from the early 1950s, pioneering animated films, 1959 to 69, with soundtracks by fellow BMC alums John Cage and Jay Watt, and archival material related to his work at BMC. Stan's proclivity for language and technology is realized to stunning effect in works on view such as Poem Field No. 7, 1967, a film which has been particularly influential on Sarah's experiments with color, pattern, and variation. Several poems and images on celestial themes also connect directly to Sarah's Rising Moon and Setting Sun, a photographic series that appears to vibrate and shift through a montage of cylindrical forms and sublime atmospheric hues. Deeply committed to protecting and making accessible her father's work for as long as she's been an artist and arts educator herself, Sarah's role in how Stan is received today is as powerful as the influence Stan continues to have on her work. For this exhibition, she has selected a precise grouping of her recent photographs and sculptures that together form a meditative, immersive environment for considering how the ethos of Black Mountain College might be transmitted across generations. The fragility and strength evoked in Sarah's work through her pointed manipulations of color, scale, and surface convey a respect for her predecessors, as well as a drive to generate meaningful images in an era when, in which their proliferation, as foreseen by her father's work, intensifies with each passing moment. 
about Stan Vanderbeek. Stan Vanderbeek was a pioneer in the world of digital media and experimental film. He began his career as a visual artist at Black Mountain College. Throughout his life, he remained committed to his radical aesthetic sensibilities developed during his studies at Black Mountain College. Sarah Vanderbeek earned a BFA from the Cooper Union for the Advancement of Science and Art in 1998. Her photographs utilize a variety of formal strategies and references, yet remain consistently engaged with issues of memory and the experience of time and space. She first became known in the mid-2000s for photographs featuring her own makeshift sculptural configurations constructed from found images and pieces of wood, metal, and string. Her work has been the subject of solo exhibitions at the Whitney Museum of American Art, Hammer Museum at UC Los Angeles, uh, Museum of Contemporary Art Cleveland, Museum Bojam Van Benigan in Rotterdam, and the Baltimore Museum of Art. She lives and works in New York. So like I said, I'll put some links up. Um, I, know you, I know you can watch Poemfield number two on YouTube. Um, I don't think the Moirage uh, film is that as accessible, but you just got to hear the music, so that's good. Um, up next, I have Calypso, Palmodian's tune. Um, first, we're going to hear it in rehearsal on June 12th, 1977, with Charles Brackeen and David Isensen and Paul. And then we're going to hear the version they recorded for Palmodian's 1977 ECM album, Dance. See, it has it has I, all those tempos that we can do, man. I I just
That was Paul Modian and his first trio as leader with Charles Brackeen and David Isenson um, playing live at the Creative Music Studio in upstate New York, run by Carl Berger, on January 8th, 1977. And the song is a, a song at the time called Oracle, um, which Paul never recorded other than this, which so that makes it kind of fun. Um, and before that, we heard two versions of Paul's song, Calypso, um, the middle one from his album Dance with that same trio. And then before that, we heard a brief rehearsal of Calypso with the trio in June of 1977. I want to remind you that you're listening to Community Radio, WRFR Low Power. I have one short reading about Charles Berkeen. Um, this is on tour with in Europe um, with uh, J.F., Jenny Clark, and Charles Brackeen. We were on the road. Brackeen was in the back seat of the van, a Volkswagen van. I was driving, and J.F. was sitting next to me in the front seat. Brackeen said, I blink my eyes once, and it's time to blink them again. I had to laugh. It was only the second time Charles was on tour in Europe. We were on a heavy schedule with early morning wake-up calls and late-night gigs. Charles always had something to say that would crack me up. We were in France playing lots of jazz festivals. Charles, this is the town where Joan of Arc was burned at the stake, I said. Oh, it was a festival, he answered. The town of Rouen and most of our three-week tour was in France. Um, and if you um, follow my blog or my Facebook page at Uncle Paul's Jazz Closet, um, there's a great photo of when um, David Isenson and Charles Brackeen first went on tour with Paul Modian in Europe. Um, so I'm going to assume that was the first time Charles Brackeen toured Europe. And they're both coming up out of, off of a train platform loaded down with luggage and their instruments and uh David Isenson looks especially nerdy with plaid pants and um, kind of this fishing hat. <laughs> so check it out if you want. But they look very happy. I would definitely say that. Um, next up we have Abacus, um, which is on Paul's album, Le Voyage. And that trio was with J.F. Jenny Clark and Charles Brackeen. But first we're going to hear... Um, Charles Brackeen and David Isenson and Paul practicing it a little bit on that same record uh, practice we just heard, June 12, 1977. We need to do it I was thinking about him playing an octave higher, too. See, uh, I just figured it out. If you do the way the last time we just did it, mm -hmm. all the way through the whole tune, mm -hmm. when we come to the end, it'll be part of the tune. It'll, mm -hmm. really be very, it'll make the ending different. Like, Yeah. 
That was Abacus from Paul Modian's Le Voyage album with Charles Brackeen and J.F. Jenny Clark, 1979. And before that, we heard a rehearsal with David Isenson instead of uh, J.F. in 1977. And I'm going to take us to the top of the hour with what is unknown to me, uh, music from the 1975 rehearsal Backroom Chatter with the Jarrett Quartet. Um, I'm not, I don't know. I don't know if this is a rehearsal or if this is them playing live. Tell me what you think. Um, no show next week. So next show, November 4th. Thanks for listening. It's almost over.